Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, a fun episode, a fun tape to comb over. We're going over the all 22 from Miami's 22-20 win over the Dallas Cowboys. We'll tell you about the game plan, the top tapes, the explosive plays, the game-winning drive, the key numbers, and so much more. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Typically, we start this thing with the explosive plays, but since the Dolphins and Cowboys offenses, known for their explosive plays, didn't have much beyond the first couple of series in the game, we're going to just do two plays and one of those being an actual big play. It starts with back-to-back dots from QB1 to Otunga Bailoa. I think in a game of that magnitude, to start it off with a pair of deep shots from your own end zone, both right in the bucket, both right on stride, to a pair of sub-4-3 receivers is a good reminder of what you have under center, Dolphins fans. The debate is over. Tua Tungavailoa is the best deep ball thrower in the National Football League, and I don't think it's that close. And I don't think that that should surprise anybody because it was the same stuff on Alabama tape every single week back when he was playing his football there. The one to Tyreek is mastery of the position because the Cowboys rotate into a three-high look with the widest corner getting width to account for Alec Ingold, who had come across the formation in motion. And the middle of the field safety in this three-high look squats right at the snap, and you see Tua's helmet stripe locked onto that safety, and he sees it immediately. So I decided I'm going to put my timer on this because from snap to throw, he sees that, makes that decision, cuts that thing loose. One hitch timing, 1.81 seconds was my average on three times gets the football out from his own one-yard line, and Micah Parsons is hitting him before the ball leaves his hand, and it hits Tyreek's hands at the 41-yard line from the far hash. I mean, there is a list of quarterbacks who have led the NFL in both completion percentage and yardage simultaneously in the same year, and that list is Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Kurt Warner, and Dan Fouts. All of those guys are in the Hall of Fame, or at least Drew Brees will be, right? It's, when did Brees retire? It should be coming up here pretty soon. This is why. When you can put the ball in handoff position from 40 yards away and throw it in 1.81 seconds, that, that in and of itself is a unique, unicorn, rarefied trait that people don't seem to want to talk about. Now, to Tyreek's credit, I'm pretty sure, and I can't know for sure because I'm not in the huddle, I'm not in the meeting room, that the numbers are the landmark for that pass. And the ball sails wide of the numbers. And tracking that thing back across your face is really, really tough because it, because it changes the eye line at the last second. It's, it's very difficult in all of sports. That's why you teach a catcher to not make a basket catch and a pop-up behind home plate. Put the glove above your head because if you put it above your head, the eye line change stays the same for the entire time. Whereas if you go below the waist, you have to track the ball from looking up into the sky, down below your belt, that changes the eye line. Same idea there. And also, big credit to Rob Jones for coming across the formation and getting a second, a last-second shot on Micah Parsons, which, if he doesn't do that, I think is taking a shot from Parsons that probably wipes him out and makes that ball flutter up in the air. But 
where this play belongs in here is the fact that Tua takes that shot from Parsons on his first drop back, and then after a delay of game, it's third and eight, and again, you're playing quarterback from your own end zone, from those beautiful orange end zones that we saw on Christmas Eve. And what does Tua do? The Cowboys wind up in what I think is cover six, quarter, quarter, half, with Stephon Gilmore as the quarter field safety. So he's playing one-fourth of the deep coverage to the short side of the field, and Waddle just runs by him, and Gilmore's almost kind of flirting with giving the outside access on the fade, and why not? Because it's a small window. Reminds me of playing recess football back in fourth grade when you would bait that one kid that you know can't make that throw into certain passes so you can get that pick, right? But what he didn't realize is that it wasn't the fourth grade recess kid. It was the most accurate quarterback to any level of football on the planet. Yeah, that's what he is. Two was on three hitch timing this time, and the feet are so clean, so pretty. No crossing over, no heel clicking. Slightly expedites the entire process of that setup with a good Dallas pass rush and number 11, who is unlike any player I've ever seen on tape in my entire life. And from the L in Dolphins in the end zone, loads up this shot to Waddle, who's the ball comes out when Waddle's at his own 15-yard line, so 20 yards away from Tua, and it descends between Waddle's arms at the 45. In stride, play goes for 49 yards and a massive first down to flip the field. That play is points, right? Because you punt from your own end zone that typically directly leads to three points at least for the opposing offense, if not a touchdown. But you're typically, when you punt from your own end zone, getting the football at best at midfield or in plus territory, but this flips the field, and Miami scores in this drive too, so really a six-point swing at minimum. I love the concept. Tyreek runs a post corner that holds the other quarter field safety for just a beat, which is all Waddle needs for that one-on-one matchups and access to the throw to the perimeter. Kendall Lamb does a great job of getting in front of an absolutely out-of-control Micah Parsons, because Parsons sometimes just basically like hits the gas, like puts it to the floor and goes, and not many guys can handle the speed and explosiveness that he has. But on this rep, he just throws a full-speed bull rush at Kendall Lamb, and he absorbs that and puts him on the ground with some help from Rob Jones. Liam, on the other hand, has a great twist pickup. Cotton and Teastead shut down their one-on-one reps. Just great team football across the board and a superstar quarterback making a superstar throw, who, by the way, had to climb and make himself skinny to get out of the way of the trash that Parsons put at his feet with that out-of-control pass rush to find his star receiver. So, yeah, stars all over the field in South Florida, right? Big-time completion there. Let's go ahead and get to the top five tapes. Speaking of the stars, and number one is Andrew Van Ginkle. The way he plays through guys with power, like he can two-gap off the edge in a way that I thought was exclusively on this team reserved for Jalen Phillips, but also Bradley Chubb's doing it. Melvin Ingram can do it as well. Emmanuel Ogba does some of it. But Andrew Van Ginkle is the one guy who doesn't fit the mold of the rest of the outside backers on this team, right? And what I mean by that is... They're all 260, 265, beefed-up dudes who can really hold that point, which is such a key in this defensive system that plays light boxes because you have to, one, be able to two-gap and get off blocks inside, and we have two of the best defensive tackles in the world at that, but you also have to be able to play inside-outside and a two-gap off the edge at your outside linebacker spot, and Van Ginkle's makeup and body composition would tell you that's not his game, but it is. He's great. He's great at it. And it helps him stay on the field for all three downs and ultimately become the productive pass rusher that he is and just productive player that he is. Ten tackles, one and a half sacks, four quarterback hits. He's awesome. 
but he's also so damn fast. Those games they run where he takes one step upfield to set the tackle in a certain a certain set and then takes the crossover step and slides all the way across to the uh, the opposing A-gap or even to pursue it all the way to the perimeter to go make a tackle on a quarterback scramble. It's freaky fast. Those two traits pair together to make a breakout candidate here for Andrew Van Ginkle. And I haven't seen much of this this year on him, but they would double team him with double Ys in tight to the formation. 12 personnel unbalanced, put both Y tight ends on Andrew Van Ginkle and double it. And he just holds the point and does not let them detach and climb to the second level, which on this particular play I'm talking about, allows Xavier Howard to come off the edge and scrape as the force defender and make a tackle right at the line. So this entire front is tough to push around. They're physical. They get after you. They can beat you with speed and power. And Andrew Van Ginkle leading the charge in this one. Nine pressures, three stops, two targets on two yards in coverage. He played five coverage snaps. Andrew Van Ginkle is your top tape from Miami's big Christmas Eve win. Your second top tape? If I told you back in September, Miami's winning a game against a 10-4 and football team to clinch a playoff berth and get their first 11-4 and start in 33 years, would you have guessed that Andrew Van Ginkle and Rob Jones are the top two tapes from that game? That's what you're getting because Rob Jones' constant displacement in the running game and moving guys off the football and in critical spots late in the game when you know the Dolphins are running the football didn't matter. Rob Jones just pushed you around and made you his, well, it's a B word. Also, the pass protection. Like, if there was, if he would see the three technique or the two or two eye, whatever, whoever's across the guard slash center, he would see them take one step inside. And he would immediately get depth and go get ribs on Micah Parsons. Go help out. And it was such a critical chip or just additional block to help slow him down for another half beat. Just a fantastic job holding up in one-on-one pass protection, passing off on games. I mean, he was one of the best players on the entire field. And Parsons has this move, and Brian Baldinger put it on his breakdown, so you can go back and check it out on there, where he will line up in the A-gap, either on-ball or off-ball, and it essentially turns into press coverage for receiver and defensive back with how he does this. But he's like the best at defeating press coverage in the NFL, even though he's a linebacker. Like, he comes... He comes squared up to the offensive lineman, has this little stutter step, and then explodes in one direction or the other. And the man literally teleports across a gap. Like, it doesn't make sense how fast he moves from one gap to the next. But Jones would just say, all right, I'm going to play with physicality to match that and just go attach and ride him through the rep and just do a good enough job to carry him past the quarterback. Talk about stepping up to a big-time challenge. Rob Jones had him on the podcast on Friday. He was fantastic. He was even better on Sunday. Two pressures on 40 pass-blocking snaps. Have a day, Rob Jones. He is your left guard for my money when Rob Hunt gets back. Number three, got to do something a little bit different here and combine this. I know it's a little bit cheating. I know Seth and OJ will say, Travis, you give out way too many game balls. You're giving out six top tapes in the top five tapes portion, but I cannot differentiate in this game Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer. It's salt and pepper, baby. So Christian, we know he's having a great year, right? But how about plugging on a tape against Zach Martin and watching constant walk back? The roughing call, what a shame because he had a bull rush that took Zach Martin halfway through the end zone, halfway to Miramar, discards him, and takes away any hope for Dak to make a throw. A great play that was undone by a not-so-great call. Did the exact same thing in the running game. Reset, shed, make the play. Just an overwhelming presence on a down-in, down-out basis. And also, do not, do not discount the value of Christian Wilkins' mind games because in this game, he took Jake Ferguson's towel, didn't give it back to him. He also, 
on a false start where the Cowboys gave a little love tap to Tyler Biotish, their center, and he didn't take very kindly to that and got a couple of swings after the fact. And then at the end of the half, he put a full-on rep against Zach Martin on a kneel-down play, and Biotish tried to come after him, and Christian just turned around and ran back to the locker room. He is a master of getting inside the head of the opponent. He's a player that you would hate if he's not on your team, but because he is, you love him. How about Zach Sealer, who I thought was even better than Christian in this game, but they played together so well that it just made sense here. The control that he has of his man in a phone booth, in a one-on-one situation, all-American man, wrestling alligator, forearm grip strength, is what is on display for Zach Sealer on a down-in, down-out basis. The eye discipline to go along with that, and the rush lane integrity. He's never going to sacrifice his rush lane for what he thinks might be able to go beyond the scheme to go make a play. And it helped out so much this week because the coverage was so good, we'll get to that here in a second, that Zach's two-gapping and eyes in the quarterback were such a critical part of cutting down so many of those Dak Prescott scrambles. You have to tip your cap to the guy because he's not just the strongest person on the field. He also plays with very, very good football acumen. And he forced a hold on a play where he was doing this because you get so frustrated by him just controlling the rep. Sometimes you grab on and it erases a first down, backs the Cowboys up, and gets a punt out of their own end zone. So Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer for Christian, two pressures and three stops. For Zach, four pressures and three stops. They were both excellent once again. My fourth top tape goes to David Long. And really, these three guys, I think, are the epitome of how this defense functions under Vic Fangio. We'll come back to that. But his physicality and explosiveness just jumps off the tape every single week. And what's best about it, like Christian and Zach, is the film study makes him even more of those two things because of the instinctive nature that he operates with. He impacts the game as a blitzer, gets Dak Prescott off the spot on a play where CeeDee Lamb was running free at one point. His flexibility is such a key to our varied looks. Because of that play speed, the outright speed speed, we're able to go two-man and reroute Kendall Lamb with hook linebackers and basically say, if you want to put Lamb in the slot, fine. We'll have Kater Kohu cover him, and he's going to have to fight through a bunch of trash in the hook zone with linebackers rerouting him and walling him off and safeties buzzing down to go play him. And one of the biggest reasons you can do this is because Long has the recognition and speed to get vertical, to get depth, and take away a window on a 25-yard over route in behind that second level of Dolphins defense. He is so unique in the way he does that. And then he'll get tasked with man coverage on Jake Ferguson up the stem And I talked about Ferguson's physicality and the nuance of his routes on the preview podcast, right? How he can really remove your power because he kind of forces you onto your heels. Well, David Long didn't let that happen because he dictated the terms of the matchup and greeted him with equal or greater physicality. On the day, three pressures as a rusher, one stop in the running game, and uh, one for three uh, passing completions and targets with seven total yards on on, uh, 34 coverage snaps. That was difficult, but we got through it. So David Long, your fourth top tape. And my fifth top tape goes to Teron Armstead. And he talked about not playing to his standard a couple weeks ago when he was coming off the injury. Well, he's back. I mean, collapsing the edge in the running game. He and Durham Smythe erased the edge completely a few times. And then Demarcus Lawrence was silent all game long. He had three pressures, but none of those were on T-Stead. In fact, he had 24 pass rush snaps against T-Stead without a pressure, and he had three on the other 16. But he didn't hit the quarterback a single time in the whole game. And... The play that really put him here for me was the screen to Tyreek that gave Miami a critical first down on the game-winning drive. He was in the just-miss category until I came across that play, but 
one of the best things about Tehran is this jump set that he has where he goes and gets the, the long runway, the nine technique, the Cameron Wake, who's all the way outside the tight end. He goes and gets it and shortens that runway to take away their speed, their speed to power, their long arm move. And on that play, he bluffs the jump set on Micah Parsons, who takes the, the invitation to go get the inside gap and you know, make a shorter run to the quarterback because he'd been doing that all night long. But T-Stead bluffs that, and Parsons winds up basically diving face first onto the ground, and that's where the screen got ran. So Teron Armstead, the intellect, the knowledge, the game plan throughout the course of a game to adjust and make that call, it kind of won you the game in some respects. So T-Stead, zero pressures in the game, clean sheet on 40 pass blocking snaps. He's your fifth top tape. The just miss category, Alec Ingold, Tyreek Hill, Tua Tungavailoa, Jalen Ramsey, and Bradley Chubb are also in my honorable mention, my, my six through 10, if you will. And with that, let's go ahead and take our first break right there. Come back on the other side, do the entire offensive notes. We'll finish up with the defensive notes and the snap counts, all that coming your way here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Top five tapes in the books. Let's go ahead and open up the offensive notes here and start by some general concepts and philosophies that I thought were very impressive from Mike McDaniel and this Dolphins offensive staff, starting with the man-beaters in short yardage because nobody runs more man coverage than the Dallas Cowboys, and you have to have your answers. And quite frankly, I think those are the easier answers to come up with than beating zone coverage because you get your natural rubs, your slant flats, your mesh concepts, and we saw all of that in this game, including one of the coolest designs I've seen all year long by any offense on the Raheem Mostert touchdown reception. But on the opening drive, you face a third and three, and you get a slat-flat combo to Jeff Wilson, where Tyreek wins inside and forces all of the attention inside to the part of the field, and it opens up that outside throwing lane to Jeff Wilson, who, if you remember last year, Wilson was a pretty valuable part of the passing game, and he also did something in this game that we haven't seen really all year from the Dolphins, more on that in a moment, that makes me think maybe there's a bigger role waiting for Jeff Wilson down the stretch here. Uh, as he continues, or really his play style, I should say, in this time of year really is conducive to physical December and January football. But I thought those man beaters were very impressive, especially the touchdown to Raheem Mostert, where they basically ran what was like a double mesh concept, and the Cowboys rushed four and played man coverage with brackets, and you had three guys that had eyes on Tyreek Hill, and he and Durham run this, or rather he and Cedric Wilson run this dual mesh concept where they both run shallow crossing routes, shallow drags to kind of pull the attention away from that part of the field that you want to sneak Raheem Mostert out into. And Durham consistently is just so on his details of his job, does a great job of feeling those routes and just kind of climbing to levels to where he knows he can put himself to set a legal pick without actually putting his hands on guys. He just carries that reroute and sifts his way through traffic to make himself big, and it's always effective when he does it. Now, he and Tyreek really took away the entire middle of the Cowboys' defense, and then Raheem is all alone after a dummy motion where he fakes going to the right at the snap, peels back and goes back to the left, and just gets completely lost in the wash from the Dallas defense. And then Rob Jones, another awesome rep, giving Liam Eichenberg help, and then peeling back and picking up a slanting rusher, two for one. Kendall Lamb has a beautiful anchor on Demarcus Lawrence, while Cotton and Teestead both put Micah Parsons in a vice for that touchdown. Speaking of Micah Parsons, you will not see a player like this on Miami schedule the rest of the year for four more years because I think this is the best player I've ever watched on tape. I guess you could see Miles Garrett and the Browns. It's pretty close. But this guy is a freak. Like, he lined up everywhere. 
you and you just can't keep him from impacting the game because he's too dang good and too much of a unicorn for his position. We talked about the basically you know, crossover step wide receiver on cornerback release pass rush movie has when he mugs up in the A-gap. But I did think that Miami's effort and strain and awareness of Parsons was just good enough to prevent him from changing the game. He impacted the game, but he didn't make a game-changing play. Let's go ahead and talk about the quarterback he was trying to get after here in Tua Tungavailoa, who I thought, despite some misses, played a very, very good football game. Uh, playing, Playmaking through vision was something that was on the I guess, on the docket last week from Daryl Bevel's press conference. But what I didn't really take into account with how vision is so imperative to the position is how you can have good vision in two areas of the field at quarterback. So on the play where Tua hits Cedric rolling out to his left, I'm not sure I've seen him do this before, but it's awesome to know it's in the bag. So the Cowboys run a game where the end loops inside to Tua's left, and Tua's looking down the field, but he feels the rush, so he can process the coverage, right? But also the pass rush, because he leaks out at the exact same time to the left that that end loops inside, so he feels that. And do you guys understand how insanely rare and valuable that is like Jets fans can't figure out why Zach Wilson stinks right with all those cool throws bro cool pro day throws it's because he can't see and can't process and can't put the coverage and the rush together and it's why you do not blitz to a front side blitz backside game won't be an extra rusher to the backside so I know that once that end leaves that position of the field I now have an open window to escape that way to get myself in a threatening position to throw the football down the field to Cedric Wilson. I have answers to my test ahead of time. Let's escape and throw a dot. I like to think I know what I'm talking about, and I'm still very much an amateur with this. I'm not Coach McDaniel or Coach Frank Smith, but man, I've studied a lot of coaching clinics. I've watched a lot of tape. There's not more than five or six quarterbacks doing this. I'll just go ahead and say that. Also, something that kind of, I just think Tua's entire game is like a test of who knows ball. And it's the mastery of the seemingly innocuous, kind of like that last point. But that's how I would describe Tua's game, the mastery of the seemingly innocuous. When I did his breakdown for the YouTube channel, which you can go find that and the Bradley Chubb and the Jalen Ramsey breakdowns that we put up on the YouTube channel with me on a telestrator, go watch it if you have not seen that, where I show plays where Tua turns his back to the defense and gives a fake inside on an end around and then flips back and fires to a spot. And he did it again here. And this one was a touch throw to Tyreek Hill between three Cowboys defenders right in stride and after a reverse pivot step. And I feel like I'm very much overusing this point on the podcast today. But there's like a handful of quarterbacks who I would would trust to mechanically get themselves aligned and put the football right back in the right spot off of that action. It's impressive on its own, but the type of skill and ball handling that makes our run game even more dangerous makes it go to a different level. Not to mention, it's a play where you've sort of given the offensive line the rep off, not to diminish their work, but the action on the fake gets the defensive line moving laterally, and then the quick throw, it's almost impossible to affect Tua when he's got that operation rolling. So he basically by himself can mitigate pressure on 10-plus snaps on a given game. It's impressive, man. How about the end-of-half, end-of-game drives? That's where I thought Tua really made his money in this one. So the Cowboys play this three-deep coverage this entire time. The middle of the field safety is 25 yards off the football. This is the end of the first half, by the way, with the perimeter of the three-high coverage playing 15 yards, so deep shell. 
That's why you get Smythe on stick. And Tyreek layered in behind that, runs the coverage off. Tua sees it, goes the short route because they ran with the deep route. Smart quarterback play. They came right back to it, and this time Tua has to shoulder roll pump to Tyreek into the high window to create the vacancy underneath. Some hesitation at the middle linebacker position creates a window to Durham Smythe, hits that one just fine. I just love what Tua did on these, man. The hook would not widen, and he would read that, so he would rip it inside to his number three receiver of alignment, right? Your your third closest receiver inside to the, that side of the field, Smythe, Cedric, Braxton. Then they would flood the trip side, and just now it's Tyreek against off coverage. Just throw a little now hitch route to him. So, it's a play-by-play example of Tua's vision and the ability to get the football out early. It's so, so critical on this drive that they have the ball early and they do it every damn snap. Then the game-winning drive, more of the same. Design swing to A-chan. Face mask was the, is the drive starter this time around. Finds the grip on a low snap and rips a perfect slant to Cedric Wilson for nine yards. On time on the stop route to Tyreek for a first down. And boom, three plays were already in Jason Sanders' field goal range. But now... You need to manage the clock in the game. So you miss Tyreek on first down, a little bit inside. Then another great call to minimize Micah Parsons by running play action away from him and sneaking Alec Ingold into the route on split flow where Parsons thinks he might get picked up by Ingold, but then rather than doing that, you throw it to him. In fact, Dallas did the exact same thing to Jake Ferguson on the opening drive of the game where they fake the split flow block and throw it to him. Then the check to a now screen to Tyreek is the biggest play of the game, right? Took another 90 seconds off the clock, allows us to make it a chip shot field goal, and that's a, a man coverage recognition from Tua. Check at the line of scrimmage, make that call, big time first down. Now, this is part of the general plays and the general breakdown for the Dolphins offense inside the Tua portion of the podcast. Almost some inception here for you. But the run game, man. Hefe's eight-yard run gets excellent perimeter blocks from Reek and Sed. Rob Jones has a great catch and climb. Lamb and Eichenberg held their reach blocks just long enough. And then great downhill running by Hefe himself. Then that third and two, man. They've used their timeouts. But they get a stop here. They're going to have about 55 seconds left and just needing... 35, 40 yards for a long field goal try, and that kicker never misses. That's an eternity of time, man. But they know, especially with how they're moving the ball the last couple of drives, 10 points on the Dolphins' defense in the fourth quarter, but they know the run is coming. Everybody's in the box, and how freaking cool is this? We are primarily a zone running team, right? Outside zone, inside zone. They go power, which is classic one-back power, man-gap scheme. Lamb, Jones, and Eichenberg all down block and make critical attaching blocks and Robert Jones just completely displaces the B-gap. Lester Cotton pulls from the backside and gets the crucial chip on Demarcus Lawrence that makes the lane wide open for Jeff Wilson. He sees it. He hits it. Awesome call. Better execution. Wins you the game. Goosebumps, man. I came away from this game impressed by Tua for three things. Well, aside from the fact that he made Dallas decide to change their entire defensive philosophy, which is one thing on its own. But the three things. Number one, an understanding of defenses and coverages and how to attack them that gets better every single week. Taking what the defense gives you and knowing what's there. And then two, the drive starters and the threat of play action because of Tua's ball handling and the ability to mess with the defense with his drops, his footwork, how they can change the launch point, how Miami can do different handoff type of techniques every single week because this quarterback is so adept in those fine details. And because you always know that he'll get back on balance and throw these anticipatory strikes down the field on time on target he threw an 18 yard hook to Tyreek where his hands separate before Tyreek even sinks the hips to get into the route and the off corner is in a full sprint to the goal line there's a middle field safety running full sprint to the goal line and a cloud corner who's getting depth at full speed trying to impact that the only way you get the ball into a triple team there is with elite anticipation 
and location. We were in scoring range all night long because of the ability to hit these chunk plays early in drives against that Tampa 2 cover 3 early down defense of Dallas, like I talked about in the preview podcast. And finally, 3, he was impacted by Parsons' immediate pocket collapsing a few times, thought he missed some throws he normally hits, and every time it's a sped-up operation where he's not in the same mechanical alignment because 11 is relentlessly in his face. But then there were some adjustments. He just threw it earlier and took some gas off the throw. That's adjusting in-game in a way that I don't think many quarterbacks are capable of. He converted a third long at the plus 39-yard line in the third quarter that I think is the difference between points and not kicking a uh, field goal there at all. So although Sanders had hit from that range, but you get the idea. Just so impressive from Tua. I did think there was a few misses that were bothersome. The miss to waddle on what looks like a sight adjustment as well as running the glance, but they had the they had that thing walled off backside. So he pivots out and Tua tries to throw a back shoulder ball, but it's just high and away. Base got a little bit wide. He pumped it and held it a beat longer, which got the rush into his face. Mechanics go awry. Ball goes awry. He misses a speed out to Waddle, where Parsons has immediate A-gap pressure and forces the footwork to change. Ball is wide. On the penultimate drive of the first half, he missed a speed out to A-chan. The opening drive of the second half, third and nine, Tyreek runs a slant. Tua throws the out. The safety had rolled down inside, but Parsons winning inside. The tackle, again, speeds things up. He ruined plays all night long. And the worst one was an out to Cedric Wilson on third and seven at the plus 17 in the third quarter with just two minutes to play. 16 to 10 game. He was wide in his base. He was early and there was uh, no pressure on this one. Just flat out missed it. And I think that the game winning drive does not have to happen if he hits that throw. But all things told, solid grade, solid day for Tua. Parsons makes a big impact, man. We'll see if the Ravens can do the same thing to him next week. But 20-plus air yard throws, one for four, his lowest percentage of the season. 50 yards, though, and then 10-plus throws, eight for 16 for 177. That's a great number right there. He was pressured, 11 dropbacks, went three for 10, 51 yards. Parsons, man. And then he was blitzed six times, went three for six for 46 yards. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there, come back on the other side, do all the eligibles and the defense. That's all next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Almost 30 minutes into the show, we have a lot of ground to cover here in the final segment. Let's go ahead and start with the eligibles and Tyreek Hill. And what a freaking teammate this guy is, man. Dallas was not going to let him see the ball early. Everything was a bracket. Sometimes a third backside defender would lurk to buzz a crosser or peel off when he'd stay frontside. But he still ran every route with deliberate intention, right, with purpose. Chosen's reception. Zero chance Tyreek's getting the football on that play because Dallas has literally four sets of eyeballs. That's eight eyeballs on him. But he clears space for Chosen by running a full-fledged clear-out route with all the effort he can possibly give. Then, of course, the play that he makes, just gliding around the field, his presence forcing some of these off coverages that opens up space for other guys and himself on those quick hook throws to get you in critical field goal range in the fourth quarter. Great to have him back. I know he didn't make the catch and was on different pages with two at one point, the deep catch I'm talking about. But all these grabs came against doubles and brackets. That's special. When you can defeat brackets and doubles, that's Hall of Fame stuff. 7.07 yards per target. Honestly, the lowest he's seen all year, I believe, this season. Uh, Against that coverage that he saw, though, is amazing to do that against constant double and triple team. Also, just a cool 2.68 yards per route ran, which would have been third in the NFL on the entire year. I think uh, Nico Collins and who was the other one? CeeDee Lamb. Somebody else was higher, but Tyreek in this game against double and triple coverage, as good as the best receivers in the NFL. Well, besides himself, because he's at like 4.6 this year. Uh, Durham Smythe helping the tackles hit those reach blocks every single week where he just 
holds him up for a beat to get that reach block attached. Then he detaches and climbs up to a nickel corner, a safety, a middle linebacker trying to flow over the top. He's so good. And I, I'm going to do a segment on Durham Smythe later this week talking about his the microcosm that he is for the rest of the football team and how the coaching staff plays the strengths of the players. But every big run, there's 81 locking onto somebody. What a year he's having. And also, how about catching the football? Caught every target, 11 yards per target, 1.93 yards per route ran. Great game for Durham Smythe. Just like it was a great game for Alec Ingold, who hit several critical blocks all game long, all over the formation. He gets put in these difficult positions, and I think the design of the offense speaks to his competence. Like, you can run these complex things because of Alec Ingold. Like a counterplay where he has to take two false steps play side before winding back and cutting off the free-running unblocked end. Elite combo of both vision and athletic ability. The entire Dolphins' backfield is smart players, and only you can, you can only run these varied running games with them because of that. He also had a cut block on Parsons at the point of attack that sprung a 14-yard Raheem Mostert run on the opening play of the third quarter. He just did a little bit of everything, man. I do think, though, the league, Alec, might be privy to that hurdle at this point. A little fun there. Cedric Wilson angles back to the quarterback as well as anybody on the roster. Good hands catches, survives contact a couple of times. Some superb blocking off the edge. He's really stepped up in whatever role he's been asked to fulfill. And I thought had a real sense of urgency on both end-of-half scoring drives where they're playing that soft-off coverage, Three deep zone. Get out of the blocks. You have to go now. Show your numbers of the quarterback and then fall forward into the catch. There's value in catching the ball at five yards and then making it an eight or nine yard gain to get second and two, second and one. Julian Hill, the thing I like about him is I know there's going to be 100% strain on every single block. Every ounce of effort he can give, he will. Still a really good blocker off the perimeter. And then Raheem Mostert in here as well. Backside vision, keeps his shoulders over his feet on those cuts, leans into contact, and a blocker trying to disengage at the point to get off the block and make the tackle. Good friggin' luck. I'm not sure I've seen Raheem get tackled by that one time this year. Arm tackle is not going to work. On a guy of that speed, makes him for a dangerous runner. 3.45 yards after contact on average, 38 total. One thing I can't get on board with the eligibles is Craycraft down for Chosen. Just unwillingness to make tough blocks in the first drive put us behind the sticks, and I don't like that. Craycraft don't do that. Uh, on the offensive line, huge props to Liam Eikenberg, man. The difference in picking up loopers and games inside is night and day difference from what it was his first couple of games. It looks like Connor Williams, in a sense, was out there in terms of the communication inside. Not quite as good, but closer. Uh, this is a fifth position this guy's played in his career and more comfortable than ever, I think, right now. And I think the reliable pass pro at Notre Dame that made him a second-round draft pick is showing up in these short spaces because he's so strong in these condensed spaces where he can throw a punch and absorb power and kind of keep his man in a phone booth. And with how the offense operates, that's not an effective form of pressure. Now, it does take away from a lot of your outside running game, but in these critical pass pro situations, it's a benefit. And then Rob Jones, he got himself in the top five by being a dominant beast that he was. Kendall Lamb, upon further review of the tape, Parsons had a pretty impact, impactful game. Uh, didn't change the game, but uh, like on the turnover on down series, on third down, Wilson is naked on a little pivot uh, China route, and Tua wants to go there, but Micah has already blown through Kendall Lamb into Tua's face, kind of like a zombie reaching around the boarded-up windows in Apocalypse film. Like, you know, he's kind of being held up, but the arm is reaching through the windows. Tough ask. I thought Kendall did enough, but Parsons definitely had the better of that matchup. On balance, I think you're continuing to see the impact of coaching and a group that adheres to their coaching. The connectivity was great. Finally get a little bit of continuity, even without Austin Jackson in the lineup, because I thought this was the best game they played with this combination, and that's encouraging heading into even more important games down the stretch. The numbers for these guys, Teron 
Armstead a clean sheet. Lester Cotton, two pressures, was charged with a half a sack. Liam Eikenberg, two pressures, no QB hits. Robert Jones, two pressures, one QB hit. And Kendall Lamb, three pressures, charged with a half sack and one QB hit. How about the defense? Quick pivot here. I think the variety that Lamb saw ultimately removed him from the game for two-plus quarters of football. And they frustrated him to the point that there were some routes where he didn't really go that hard. They'd flash in front of him, cap the top, and just keep him guessing regardless of his alignment, inside or outside. I thought we sprung a couple of busts early on that led to those big plays that did get him four for 93 in the first quarter, but then locked it down with great execution and adhering to the rules on a given play. We also dominated the trenches. Dallas is a big, physical, not-fake Gucci bag team, right? Going to push us around. <laughs> yeah, good call there, ding-dong. We dominate the trenches, had a really good play in the perimeter in the, and in the hook zone with Ramsey, X, David Long, and Duke Riley, and shut down the run inside. Impressive ability to get production up front without sending blitzers or even fit in the run with additional hats. We can be down a hat in the box and still win because Wilkins, Sealer, and Long are so critical to that aspect of your run defense, but also their ability to affect the quarterback with just four rushers. God, it's impressive. I'd throw Duke in that mix as well. Very impressive down the middle. This Dolphins defense right now is humming, and I can't wait for the big test on Sunday. Let's go ahead and talk about the previous Sunday against the Cowboys. We talk about the retrace all off season, right? But it shows up on game days, and man, it shows up every single week. Wilkins had one on the first drive on the opening, the first sack of the opening drive. And then Sealer on the Deshaun Elliott play we've all talked about a million times. Zach is five yards behind the play, and it looks like Pollard has a cruise-in touchdown. But Zach never gives up on the play. In fact, he accelerates. And I'm not sure Deshaun's tackle keeps Pollard out of the end zone without the cleanup hit of Zach Sealer. Just want to go ahead and make a mention of that. I think we won this game because of the combination of speed off the edge and the ability of 94 and 92 to consistently collapse the pocket inside that paired with really good communication and physicality to either absorb power routes or to make speedier routes take a beat longer. Just complementary football and examples of individuals winning their matchups over and over and over again. That changing the calls, Duke Riley delays a blitz that puts the right tackle to squeeze the B gap, and that allows Andrew Van Ginkle to flash his bendability around the edge. The backside safety shows too high, but buzzes down the backside slant with an eye on the front side crosser. Dak is such a great quarterback with elite vision, but you could tell Miami had him a little bit guessing and confused out there. That's a tough task to do. Vic Fangio did it. How about the individuals? Raekwon Davis, I thought his power and length was too much for Tyler Biadish. Just overwhelmed him a lot. Biadish kind of got whipped in this game. Bradley Chubb, I thought, you know, I still fail to understand how he bends the corner at the speed that he has with the body composition that he has because he's so thickly built and able to hold the point against the run. But then to the, minute the, the, the tackle flashes any green grass outside, he takes it and wins with speed that can then turn to speed to power where he then resets the anchor of the right tackle or left tackle, I should say. And I think that's why he leads the league in four fumbles because the tackles are often taken by surprise when he gets the arc and then resets it through speed power. And he uses that physicality to impact the B gap too, which also helps Sealer and Wilkins get their pass rush production when they when he slants across face and they loop around the outside edge because he's moved the entire edge inside and gives them a tighter line to the quarterback. He had six pressures and three stops in the game. The off-ball linebackers, I already talked about Duke Riley a little bit and David Long got in the top five tapes, but I think here's, the, here's where things have changed for me is the coverage that has improved since these two guys got together back in the Washington game. The ability to get depth on some of these hook drops but also locate quickly 
what happens, I think there's a lot more anticipation happening at that level than there was before and really taking away reads from the quarterback and helping aid in more coverage sacks. In fact, here's some numbers for you. The Dolphins have 13 sacks in three and a half games with Duke Riley in the lineup. The number is just slightly higher than the average before, but the tape tells me it's more indicative of improved coverage because after all, Jalen Phillips, who is your best pass rusher, bar none, the number didn't drop that much without him. So why is that the case? Why would Denver do that? I'm inclined to think that this is why. In fact, Dak Prescott, here, here you go. Time to throw against the Dolphins this year, 2.98 seconds for Dak. Zach Wilson, 3.15 seconds. Will Levis, 2.76 seconds. Sam Howell, 3.27. Before that, Tim Boyle, when they had Duke wasn't playing linebacker, Tim Boyle, 2.35. Aiden O'Connell, 2.85. Mahomes, 2.86. Mac Jones, 2.51. Here's the discrepancies of those quarterbacks based upon their season average and the game against us. Dak held the ball for a quarter second longer. So did Zach Wilson. Will Levis held held the ball for a tenth of a second longer. Sam Howell was way off, but that was a different game, disaster game for for the commanders. Before that, without Duke Riley, Tim Boyle doesn't qualify for time to throw, so we remove him. Aiden O'Connell had one tenth of a second less time to throw. He held the ball less before the injury to Jerome Baker and Duke Riley in the field. Patrick Mahomes, a decrease as well. And then Mac Jones only jumped up 0.05 seconds. The difference is stark. The coverage is creating more sacks. And I think that that middle portion of the defense is a big reason why. And for Duke Riley, the coverage is fantastic. His ability to sift, condense, and find the football because he's a bit smaller at that position, but he plays with so much physicality and instincts and speed and beats you the same way David Long does. I don't think there's been a drop-off here. I think it's been better at middle linebacker. And it speaks to his work ethic and staying ready. He had two pressures and two stops in the game. Finally, the secondary, Jalen Ramsey, the play before the Deshaun play, before the fumble, right? Cooks has a path to the pylon, but Jalen comes down and puts a lick on him. He makes a play with the physical aspect of the game every single week, and right here, it helped induce a seven-point swing. Also, his coverage, Jake Ferguson, C.D. Lamb playing out against Brandon Cooks, Kevontae Turpin, like, he was doing so much against so many guys. 20 yards allowed on three targets and 42 cover snaps. He's the best in the business, man. How much do we miss Deshaun Elliott? The run fit, the play, then gosh, the center field work does not get enough love in this defense. I think you really see it when Javon Holland's out there because he can go play make more because Deshaun can play the deep center part of the field, but he caps routes down the hash. He's helping on bump and run outside. Seems to always force the quarterback to get out of their hitch timing and double clutch because he's in the vicinity. I think Xavier Howard had a tough night and he's kind of not playing the ball in the air very well, but his work fitting the, the edge as the forced defender has been the best it's ever been in his entire career. 77 yards on 42 coverage snaps. Got beat on that deep ball. Got to be better there. Uh, Kater Kohu had some really good work inside, some good uh, trail technique and funnel. Part of the Zeus concept where you play funnel underneath, bump and run, and funnel right into your help. He was very good in that regard. 26 yards on 35 coverage snaps. And then Brandon Jones. Look, I, I've been talking about it every week. Like, you know, Javon, I hope Javon's close. He worked out pregame. That's usually a good sign. But, man, we are just... I don't know what we're doing a lot of the time. He made the the big play. The fumble recovery is a good example of playing to the whistle because lots of DBs in those goal line plays, they don't factor in. They peel off. The minute the ball pops out, though, Brandon Jones sees it and hits the gas and goes and gets it because if it's a half second later, I think Dak recovers it, and then it's second and goal to two-yard line instead of a turnover. But then it's just back to some nonsense. Like CeeDee Lamb is the two to the field against Cater, who has outside leverage. So he's going to run the over route, and you better pick him up on the backside. But Brandon Jones comes down and plays the the X out, the, the out route to the X receiver. Like, what are we doing there? But he's like eight yards away from the football, but not fitting the run or playing anything, just covering grass. 
And by the time he sees play, pla- play pass, he's late to get back into the hook, and it's a huge play to Lamb. Every week this happens. The very next play is a big game, but a horrendous angle gives him 30 more yards and a touchdown play. So Javon Holland hopefully coming back soon, but I thought that was a big, big issue early on in the game in that back end of coverage. But by and large, Dolphins defense gets after it. Let's go ahead and do the snap counts here real quick. What do we learn from those in this game? Well, offensive line went wire to wire, so he did quarterback. That's a great sign. Durham Smythe, we talked about how big of a game he had. He had the most snaps behind, besides quarterbacks and O-linemen with 55. The other tight end, Julian Hill, played 11 snaps in the game. So Durham Smythe is a very critical part of the offense. As far as the receivers, Tyreek, 85% leads the way. Cedric goes 62% with Waddle playing 43 because of the injury. In fact, Berrios got two more snaps than Waddle. So Waddle in and out of the lineup. Uh, high ankle sprain. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Uh, Chosen had five snaps, and Claypool had three at running back. Mostert leads the way. No, sorry, Achan led the way with 55% of the workload. Mostert had 29%. I didn't realize he played that few snaps, but good for him for gutting it out, getting back in the lineup. And then Ingold played 43% of the snaps there as well. So that's your offensive look on defense. Two guys go the distance, Duke and Jalen, and then Brandon Jones and Deshaun Elliott both played all but one snap in the game. Uh, let's go ahead and stay there. Cornerback X played all but three snaps. You had Kohu playing three quarters of the snap, so there's your nickel versus base defense difference right there. And then Nick Needham played six snaps in the game and had a rough game in that regard as well. Uh, back to the front, the defensive ends, or rather the defensive tackles, I should say. Christian Wilkins played 61 snaps, 92%. Zach Sealer played 56 snaps. Those guys are unreal, man. Deshaun Hand played 11 snaps. I thought he had a rough game as well uh, in that in that uh, capacity. Off the edge, what do we got here? Van Ginkle leads away with 54 snaps. That's 82% of the workload. We saw Bradley Chubb get 80%, so just one snap fewer. And then we saw Melvin Ingram play 21 snaps in his first game up. I guess that's your JPP replacement there. And then Cameron Good had four snaps. At linebacker, David Long played 61, and Duke Riley played all of them. Dang, so Duke was the primary backer in the game. That's pretty impressive there from him. Tells you how they think about him. And then finally, what other position do I have here? The nose tackle. Raekwon played 35% of the snaps. So yeah, pretty good feel there. It's, it's been that rotation for a long time this season. That's a long podcast. That's what happens when you get a big win on Christmas Eve to clinch the playoffs and put yourself in position to win the division next week. We're going to go ahead and get out of here tomorrow on the podcast previewing the big game, man. Ravens and Dolphins will do that on the Drive Time Podcast. We'll have some guests this week. Plenty to come your way, but in the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy's coming home.